nothing in fear because of us. And this is God's word. I recently uh, finished rereading one of my all-time favorite books, To Kill a Mockingbird. I don't know if you've read it, but if you haven't, add it to the top of your list. It is an all-time classic. It's this, this light-hearted story about a little girl, a, a story about childhood, really. And yet, mixed into this light-hearted story is a really complicated social issue that you see through the eyes of this little girl who's the narrator of the story. But the real hero of the story is the girl's father. His name is Atticus Finch. And I'll try not to give too many spoilers here, but Atticus is a lawyer, and he takes on an extremely controversial court case, a case in which a black man is falsely accused by a white man of a terrible crime. And so we can sit here today and say, well, good, he did the right thing. I'm glad he did that. I'm glad he defended him. But the book was written in 1960, and so maybe you can imagine how when this book was released, maybe Atticus was a little bit more controversial of a character. And I should probably mention that the book was set, the setting of the book is in Alabama in the 1930s. And in the setting of the story, Atticus is hardly a hero. In fact, for much of the town, he's public enemy number one. And the book is a masterpiece for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons is that you, you see this whole story play out through the eyes of this little girl. She sees clear as day that the man who's on trial is innocent. And she's so frustrated with the people who live in her town. But her, her dad, Atticus, he's the hero. He does the right thing. And yet, as the reader, with every page you turn, you realize how difficult it was for him to do that, all the pressure on him to not do the right thing. And you think, could I have done this? Would I have done this? Because the right thing to do was obvious. But that doesn't mean that it was easy. Have you been there before? where you have a decision staring you right in the face and you know the right thing to do and you also know what you want to do and they're not the same thing. Where do you go from there? It was a cool coincidence that I happened to be reading this book while I was preparing for this sermon because I couldn't stop seeing similarities between the fictional character of Atticus Finch and the, the main character of our, of our sermon lesson today, Rahab. And there are some obvious differences, definitely. Atticus is fictional and Rahab is historical. Uh, Atticus fought to defend the truth. Rahab maybe took a, a slightly different route, right? And yet both of these, these characters, both of these people, looked down the safest path and decided to go the other way. And I don't know if we always realize how significant that is. Atticus Finch was putting his 
career and his reputation on the line. It was more than that for Rahab. If Rahab had been caught doing what she was doing, she would have been executed, plain and simple. Why take that risk? And it's, it's one thing, I suppose, to, to let the spies hide in your house, but it's, it's something completely different, I think, to cover for them. And I hesitate to, to call what Rahab said a lie, even if it wasn't the truth. I hesitate to call it a lie because when we talk about lying, we usually mean somebody's twisting the truth to use it for their own benefit. But Rahab was doing almost the exact opposite of that, right? She was twisting the truth, but putting her own life on the line in the process. Now, when you read a book, whether it's fictional or real life, generally as the reader, you know things about the story that the characters in the story do not know. And so in To Kill a Mockingbird, as the reader, you know that the man on trial is innocent. You know that Atticus is doing the right thing by defending this man. When you read the true story of the Bible and what happened with Rahab, as the reader, we know that these spies were sent by God. So we know that Rahab is doing the right thing by protecting them. But how did Rahab know that? How often can you depend on enemy spies who plan on burning your city to the ground to be the good guys? I really wish we knew a little bit more about Rahab's story and her background. But really, all of what we know about her is what she says to the spies. She, she tells the spies that somehow her people have heard about their people. They know about these Israelites. They've heard about how they recently defeated these two very powerful kings. That caught their attention. And she also mentions that her people have heard how by some miracle the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground. Now what Rahab doesn't mention is that that whole Red Sea incident had happened 40 years earlier. Rahab probably wasn't even born when it happened. And yet the word had spread. People knew about these Israelites. They knew who these people were. But the big difference with Rahab was that she knew who their God was. Now, like I said, we don't know a whole lot about Rahab. But I really don't think she was just trying to save her own skin in the way she dealt with these spies. We, we, we know a little bit about the culture that Rahab lived in, maybe. Um, we know that generally at this time in history, people had, various cultures had their own religions where they believed that a different God controlled every aspect of life in the world. And so think of like the Greek gods is like a famous example. You know, there's Zeus is the storm and the sky god, and Poseidon is the sea god, and there's Athena, the goddess of war, and there's, there's dozens more of these. But every culture kind of had their own version of that. And so that's almost definitely the type of religion that Rahab had grown up knowing. And yet she didn't say to the spies, I've heard about you people and your gods. She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And we heard how 
the Lord parted the Red Sea and brought you through safely. And that might be a bigger deal than it sounds at first glance. Because she didn't say God, right? God is a title, and it's a title that can be used to describe the one true God, yes, but also you can say the Greek God Zeus, right? The, the word God can be used to describe any deity. But Rahab said the Lord. And the Lord was this special name that God had told his people to call him by. And if you've ever heard God referred to as Yahweh, that's like an English, an English guess at maybe what that name sounded like back then. Or whenever you see, like we have it here, L-O-R-D printed for you in all caps in the Bible, that's a reference to this name. And this name that God had told people to call him by, this, the idea behind this name was a God of faithfulness. A God who, who loves his people freely. The God of kindness and the God of forgiveness. It's a wonderful name. And somehow Rahab knew this name. And so when she said to the spies, I know that the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. I'm sure that caught them off guard. This was significant. Somehow, this woman knew the Lord. This woman knew the God of free and faithful grace. Now, I, I said we don't know a whole lot about Rahab's background. I guess I did skip over one detail. She was a prostitute. And maybe you're wondering when I was going to get to the less than ideal details of this story, right? And after all, why were these spies going to the house of a prostitute in the first place? Now that second question, I think, can be answered a little more easily. I heard it described like this. If, if you've ever seen an old Western movie, if the cowboy needs to know some information about the town... He doesn't go into the town hall or the church, right? He goes to the saloon. Or he goes where all the rough characters hang out. Because that's where all the secrets get spilled. But even if you don't buy that, these spies were being hunted, right? Their lives were on the line. They were running for their lives. I don't think it's real likely that they just stopped for a, a casual visit at the brothel on their way out of town. So maybe the spy's honor we can vouch for a little bit. But not Rahab's. Now there's no two ways about this one. Rahab was a sinner. She had made her living in a dishonorable way. She did not have a good track record of doing the right thing. And so why do we sit here today and learn from her now? You know how sometimes in movies there will be, at the end, one of those montages that says, like, where are they now? And it tells you what happens to the characters in the movie after the, the time period of the movie ends. Well, it's pretty cool, but the Bible kind of has one of those for Rahab. Um, the spies, they, they kept their promise to Rahab, and she and her family were spared when the Israelites did conquer the city of Jericho. And 
Then it says that Rahab lived among the Israelites. She became one of them. But that's just a, a few pages flipped over from where we just read in the book of Joshua. But then you don't hear about Rahab in the Bible for a really, really long time. In fact, if you were reading the Bible from cover to cover, I'm sure you would assume you're never going to hear about this Rahab character again. But then you get to the first chapter of the New Testament when we start to hear about the story and the life of Jesus. And the first chapter of the New Testament starts off with this, this genealogy of the family of Jesus, this list of Jesus' ancestors. And you'll never guess whose name shows up in that genealogy. Rahab. Rahab got married and had children and somehow became an ancestor of Jesus, an ancestor of the Savior. Isn't that incredible? But then you're not done hearing about Rahab. You, you, you keep going in the New Testament, and her name comes up a couple more times. And she's praised for her faith. One, one chapter is, is all about examples of heroic faith in the Old Testament. That's, that's Hebrews 11. And it says, you know, it, it talks about all these, these huge figures of the Old Testament. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. And then there it is again. Rahab. Rahab the prostitute. And that's what it calls her. And I do wonder if God included that title on Rahab's name for a reason. Rahab, the faithful believer, and the prostitute. At least, that's what she once was. But then she came to know God. Then she came to know the God of free and faithful grace. And that changed everything for Rahab. Rahab did not remain a prostitute. That much is obvious from when we read the story of the Bible. But what she did remain was somebody whose life had been forever changed by coming to know the Lord. But Rahab isn't this, this name that comes up in the Bible again and again because she was so special, right? Or because she had something in her that made her different from everybody else. She comes up again and again in the Bible because she's this amazing example of one of, one of God's reclamation projects. In the same way that it's incredible when somebody can take uh, a a cast-aside piece of furniture and with, with amazing skill make it into something beautiful again. We look at what God did in Rahab's life and we say, wow, God, you are amazing. But Rahab isn't the only one either. In, in the life of Jesus, the religious leaders of his day could not stand Jesus, right? Why was that? One of the biggest reasons is because Jesus ate meals with sinners, right? He hung around people that everybody else had decided were a lost cause. And Jesus even had the audacity to tell some of those people, your sins are forgiven. 
Now leave your life of sin behind. And the religious leaders would, would say to themselves, and this is in the Bible, and they say, who does he think he is? Someone that can forgive sins? Yes. That's exactly who Jesus is. We, we talked about this a little bit last week. There's a, a verse where the Apostle Paul is talking about people in some of his churches that had kind of rough backgrounds. He talks about um, thieves and drunks and liars and cheats, and he gives this, this big, long list of people. And he says, that is what some of you were. He says, you used to live these lives that were defined by your sins, and you were lost in the ways of this world. But no more, he says, because you know the one who forgives sins. You know Jesus, and that changes everything. And I don't know all of your stories here this morning, but maybe these words from Paul speak to you a little bit too. But God tells us that our past does not define us. Your past does not define you. God is not scared away by your sins. And maybe you think that you won't have as, as shiny of a story as Rahab did. You won't be this, this shining beacon of faith in the Bible. But I don't want to make Rahab's story seem shinier than it was either. Rahab was still a sinner, even after she became a believer. She wasn't a prostitute anymore, but she was still someone who fought that daily battle against sin, as do all of us. Because that's part of being a Christian, right? Whether you've been a believer for your whole life or whether you've only known Jesus for a short time or whether you've had some drastic life change because of coming to faith like Rahab or not, all of us have still been changed. We came into this world as as people who wanted nothing to do with God because we want to bow down to the idol of me, right? I want to do what's in my best interest. And maybe, maybe I will think about helping other people, but it better also be convenient for me. And why should anybody else care about what I do if it doesn't affect them directly? That's the way we're wired. That's the way we were. But listen to God's word to you today. He says that you have been washed clean and you have been made holy, you've been sanctified, and you've been justified, declared not guilty because of the blood of Jesus. And that changes things, right? That changes the way we want to live our life. And so maybe we wonder then, why the struggle? Why do we still struggle to do the right thing? Why do, we, why do we so often find ourselves thinking over in our head, the good things that I want to do, I, I do not do, and the, the evil things that I know I should not do, these I find myself doing again and again. How do we get better at doing the right thing? Well, we need to remember what 
it is that makes the right thing right in the first place. We have a God who is faithful. We have a God who looked at a world full of people who made nothing but wrong choices all the time. And he decided to come after us anyway. God looked at a world full of lost causes, and he decided they're worth saving to me. God decided to show his love freely to us. He decided to send Jesus to be our savior, the savior of a world full of lost causes. Only the Lord does that, right? Only the God of free and faithful grace. And I don't know about you, but the God who loved me enough to come rescue me from the depths of my sin and to tell me, because you have a Savior, you get to be in heaven with me someday. The God who changed me from what I was and made me to be what I am, made me to be his child, that's the God that I know I can always trust for guidance in my life. We love stories like the fictional story of Atticus Finch and the true story about Rahab because these people did the right thing in the face of extreme pressure to do something wrong. And we all know how difficult that is. I think any one of us would be able to think of times when we failed to do exactly that. But the only reason that we can live for Jesus is because we know Jesus. We know the one who forgives sin. And we know that he tells us we can leave our sins behind us. Our faithful God has given us faith in his son as our savior. And in that faith, he gives us strength. He tells us to, to rely on him for help. In, in doing those right things. And he promised us to give us that help. Our lives have been changed by, by coming to know our Savior, by coming to know the one who forgives sin, by coming to know the God of free and faithful grace. And that changes everything, right? Knowing God changes everything. For our lives here on earth, but also for our eternity that we know we'll spend with him in heaven. Amen. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard and keep you.